Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up, Angelo? Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me, as always, uh-huh. it's Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It is going well. Rukashem. Rukashem. What up, and shalom to everybody out there in the radio land. Uh, Our we... 36 listeners. That's right. 36 listeners and strong. Not 50. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, this is, this is we're keeping it small. This is rarefied air. I got to tell if, you, if you can endure like the whole Robin Caleb show, like even one episode, one episode, you're doing let good. It, let alone multiple episodes, you have a you have <laughs> you have you a skill set with a specific <laughs> skill set and enzyme, digestive enzyme <laughs> that permits you to digest it. it. There, other people do not have that enzyme, and they. It would take. They have to convert uh, over a series of years and with a diet change. Intestinal so, fortitude. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, I had somebody come up to me at uh, shul at our congregation. Lovely woman, Janet. She listens all the time, uh, and I think she's listening to back episodes. But she came up to me and she was like, "You know, I just want you to know I'm one of the 36." And I was like, "Oh, uh, that's so sweet." She's not number 23 though. She is not. We only have one person. This is L M. Yeah, with a L M. Yes, with a, We'll with just a, give initials here. With a number. Number twenty three. There she is. She's yeah. She's uh, she's typing in the chat room as we speak. Oh, Adam says Yofi makes thirty seven. But okay, but maybe someone. We might have offended somebody who left. So we're not. Yeah. Exactly. See. We, Never it, sure. It, it always balances out, doesn't it? It's always thirty six. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, we lost somebody right around the time that that Yofi was born. Somebody else was on their way out. All right. Hey, what up and shalom to everybody out there in Radio Land. We're happy that you're listening to us. If you're listening live, you're even more special. That means you're truly one of the thirty six. But maybe you're on YouTube too. That's great. What up and shalom to everybody in the chat room. We're happy you're there. And actually, it looks like a good turnout for the chat room today. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. Not bad at all. It's it's not thirty six. Awesome. These people have awesome uh, little handles. Like, <laughs> we do have some good. We do have some good uh, handles there in the chat room. Is that the word you use? What do you use? Is it your handle? That's like that was CB radio days. Like your handle was your like my dad was Tan Van Man. Right when he what? was when he the What CB. are you talking about? <laughs> Breaker, breaker, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> Smokey and the Bandits. Oh, uh, my word. Wow. That's 70s. That's all the 70s. Did his car have an eight track in it, too? It was a tan van. He was the tan, <laughs> he was the tan van man. Oh, wow. Yes, it had an eight track. Oh, wow. Neil Diamond. 
Bob Denver, you know. Dude, I still have tapes. Have you seen those videos? On, we are. I know we're off on major rabbit trails yes, right now. Yes, with the kids and they don't know how to. They, yeah, what do yeah, you do exactly. They, okay, so it's like little kids and it's like little kid. It like, and when I say little kids, they're what like 11, 12 years old. Screen, yeah, like, <laughs> they get they give them a, they give them a Walkman and they give them a tape and they're like, okay, go ahead and try to use it. And they, and they can't even figure out how to put the tape into the tape. Oh man, it's good. It is good. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's get the uh, let's get the all the dirty business out of the way. Uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. TorahResource.com. Go to it for all of your free articles, all sorts of videos. We have devotionals going on right now. By the way, I don't know, Rob, if you've looked at our devotional page on my uh, YouTube. Um, but you can find our devotionals on TorahResource.com, or you, I'm hosting them on my YouTube page, which is quite an honor. And uh, you can find my YouTube page by going to YouTube.com backslash Caleb Hegg, two G's in Hegg. And uh, so anyway, I, uh, you know, the devotionals are going really well, and people are actually commenting and saying that they're loving them, which I think is great. It's awesome. That's really cool. We're having a lot of people listen to. I'm thankful for the people, like concerning my little corner there, people emailing me ideas. I've got a list of ideas here with the names of people, and I'm excited. And, uh, you know, like we know that Derek gave the one, and it's going to be, it was four episodes, three three or four. Plus, I have, as I've been chewing on, I've got, I I need to do one more (laughs) wrap up for for Derek's request for Romans 117. And I'm like, hey, you know, this is awesome. Uh, If it, if, one person is blessed, then it's all worth it. You know what I mean? That's my angle. I, I don't I don't need 10, 20, 30, you know. I think I, it's – okay, so I tell I tell Rob, I say, Rob, I got these guys doing a devotional. You need to do one too. He says, okay. I said, under 10 minutes a piece. Under 10 minutes a piece, once a week. So you can record all – you know, f- give me a month in advance. Rob records one of them. He's like, uh, I went over uh, over a little bit. It's 42 minutes long. 42, like, <clears throat> it's supposed to be a dose of devotional for people in the morning. Like, get up, you're drinking your cup of coffee, and you're watching a devotional. Nobody drinks a cup of coffee for 40 minutes except for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning new skills. <laughs> or I'm learning the lack of skill there. I... I I need to learn to get right to the point quicker. Wait, oh, hey, but I, I got uh, this. Isn't even look. I know this is a, uh, a show about things that are facing the messianic and Christian world, uh, but I'm going to go off on a, on a different tangent for just a second. Uh, Seahawks, that was tough. Wah, wah, that wah. was tough. Uh, Rob and I are in Washington State. You know what I heard? Someone Spokane. told me that they didn't. It, it sounds funny. The, they wore the wrong cleats. No, that's no. no. Well, the, no, the, okay, that's okay. an issue. It like is an issue, but they they the wore the right slipping. cleats. They wore the right cleats for the for what they thought the turf was going to be, and the turf it was, was not. Wet. It was all gross. But but look, it, uh, okay, and they got it dialed by the second half. They had it dialed in, but of it was course, quite it wasn't a comeback, enough. no no doubt. But uh, look, as a Seahawks fan, I have to say they shouldn't have even been in that game. Oh yeah, that true. that field goal the 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 week before. Guy, yeah, poor, I mean well, that was not poor guy. He signed up for that job. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's not a you don't feel bad. For, I mean, he's gonna take you know he's gonna take a a hit for that, but you know he's getting paid a lot of money to. We had a bunch of people in our congregation move from Colorado up to Washington so that they could be part of our congregation, 
And so we got like we got like three families right now that are like Denver fans. I mean, I don't know whether or not I should root for Denver now because of the people that are in the sure. congregation, or if I should root against Denver now because of the people in the congregation, just so I can, you know, place some friendly wagers. <laughs> All right, let's get to the important things. Yes. Let's open up uh, Rob's segment here. Do we have Rob's Gamantria this morning? <laughs> okay, hang on. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Hang on. It's Rob's Gematria. Before today's Gematria, I need to take a sip of water <laughs> out of my Torah Resource mug. Which you can find at TorahResource.com. Ah, that's good water. <laughs> Even better out of the TR mug. I've got some words here for y'all for show number 109. The first word is Medina. Medina, which is like country. Or it could be like a state. It could be like a, a state, a Medina. Then there's a couple double words, like avodah tova. Avodah is like work. Tova is good. Good, good work. So avodah tova, good work. Not the same as, as like a good deed, but avodah tova means good labor, good work. And here's another good one for 109. Dagim bayam, fish in the sea. Oh, yeah. Dagim bayam. And then last but not least, David the King, David Hamelech, 109, baby. Is that <laughs> prophetic or what for our show today? There you go. Maybe, maybe not. I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm just giving you the facts, Caleb. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I feel like there should be some kind of end to that segment. Oh, wait. Hey, usually wait, the, wait, wait. I got it. I got usually... it. I got it. I got it right here. I got it right here. Awkward An silence. alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. <laughs> That's how we're going to end that segment every week now. Either that or an awkward silence. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, I got to say, our fans uh, here for the Robin Caleb Show, we love you very much. And the proof of this is my dedication to the show. I listened to so much nonsense this week preparing for this show. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Uh, actually, before we get into the meat of all of this, check this out. Did you get your uh, Jets this week? Get your Jets? Hey, yes, I did. Do you Do see I this? I was so fire. excited for this. There's one called Fasting That is Pleasing to the Lord. A new I didn't t- read that one yet. I, I read that John, I was reading the creation accounts. The, uh, there was a back and forth about John Walton's, Dr. John Walton's picture of Genesis. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's I, one one scholar writes it, and then Walton writes a writes a rejoinder or whatever. So an explain uh, expanded view of biblical authority, a response to Van Kuken, John Walton, and Brent Sandy. Right, that's yep. the response, and then the article right before that is that kind of. So anyway, yeah, good stuff. What were you going to say though about the, I, I haven't got to the so fasting. I was so excited for this fasting one because I've actually been interested in fasting for quite some time. But check this out. So this is how he. I open it up. Maybe this about 15 minutes ago, I opened this up and I started looking at this. And this is what I'm slapped with. I'm, I'm hit right in the mouth with this in the beginning. It says, in this article, I will argue that 
As an expression of Christian piety, fasting is only appropriate in exceptional circumstances. It should not be a habitual expression of devotion to the Lord. Fasting belongs in the Old Testament, but after the coming of Christ, the appropriate sentiment for believers is joy, not grief. Disappointment abounds. Interesting. Uh, Here's an interesting, because what do they do with the scripture that Yeshua says, uh, when the bridegroom is with them, they don't fast, but when when he leaves, then they will fast. I don't know. I didn't get past that because I was because so that's, disgusted. That's, he's saying he's the bridegroom. Yeah, of course. And that when he's uh, when he leaves, that his disciples are going to fast. Anyway, I guess that's still Old Testament. <laughs> Old Testament times. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, so I've been getting numerous emails. My dad has been getting numerous emails. Wow, that is a long clip. Um. Oh, by the way, this is going to play. I have a new soundboard clip, and I will play it at the appropriate moment Okay. in this show. I'm sure you'll be able to pick it out when I do because it's new, but you're going to like it. Okay. We've been getting emails about something called the greater exodus. What is the greater exodus? That is a great question. Now, I thought that everybody that has contacted us has brought up Monty Judah, Okay. Now, if you don't know uh, who Monty Judah is, or if you haven't heard us talk about Monty Judah, I strongly hold to the idea that Monty Judah is a false prophet. He falsely prophesied back in the 90s. Um, And so it is my opinion that we should not be listening to him whatsoever. And honestly, my exploration into the greater exodus this week has solidified that Monty Judah has absolutely no... uh, (laughs) He has no right to be teaching at all. Uh, I listened to hours, and I mean hours of him teaching. And it, No wonder you need to go on a fast. You need to purify your soul. Oh, my word, it's so bad. Like, I can't believe that anybody listens to this guy. His, uh, his exposition, I, and, you know, I, look, I know that there are people who listen to Monty who are, like, super into his, his uh, greater exodus. And I know that I'm probably turning, you know, they're turning off their their computers or whatever, TR radio right now saying this is, you know, like, I'm not going to listen to this. But the truth of the matter is, is that I just don't understand. And I'm going to try to be nice about this the way I'm going about it. So maybe that's as harsh as I'll get was right there. I just can't believe that people are sucked into some of this stuff because it doesn't take, uh, you know... You don't need a master's degree in theology to understand that that Monty's really shooting from the hip here. He, does, he uh, okay. So what? Let's talk about the Greater ex- Exodus. What is it first and foremost? Uh, well, <laughs> um, okay. This well, okay. Let's do this. Let's listen to Jim Staley now. Jim Staley, I disagree with a lot of what Staley has to say, but. On this one, he got most of it right, okay? Listen to what Staley says about somebody asks the same question to him. And Staley responds with this. Now, he's just re- he's just read a passage of Scripture that we're going to get to here in a few minutes. Uh, but this is what he says about the greater exodus, quote-unquote, greater exodus. All right, so there is this concept of the greater exodus, and basically in layman's terms what the, uh, the Scripture is saying there uh, in Jeremiah is that no one's even going to remember the first exodus. Because- okay, this is his problem. This is the problem that I have with this, uh, this, this sound clip by Staley. Uh, 
He's talking about Jeremiah 23K. Let's just get to my show notes real quick. Oh, wait. I didn't even put it in here, did I? I put it in your show notes. It's in Jeremiah 23. I believe it's Jeremiah 23.10. Okay. Nowhere in the passage that uh, that he's referring to does uh, it say that no one's going to remember the, the Exodus. Now, I know this is a small thing. Maybe I'm splitting hairs here. But, but come on, let's do the let's do justice to the text. It doesn't say that no one's going to remember the exodus from Egypt. It says no lo- no longer will they say. Hang on, let me get to it. Let me get to Jeremiah twenty three. Pardon me. When you cut and pasted your things here, you left the little the little letters for the footnotes. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. There's just a little B in there. No biggie. What's the reference? Is it 10? There's 16.14 and 23.7. 23.7. Okay, here we go. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm looking for. So this is what he's just read. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north, Land and from all the countries where I had driven them. Then they will live on their own soil. So I'm sorry, but I disagree with Staley on this. It doesn't say that they're not even going to remember the exodus from Egypt. And I don't know why he would insert that eisegesis into this passage. Why would you say that? Anyway, I'm, my, my quarrel in this is not against Staley. I think actually he, uh, besides this one little thing that he says here, I agree with his assertion, his assertion of this passage. Here we go, listen. Uh, in Jeremiah is that no one's even going to remember the first exodus because the second exodus is going to be so huge and so great that, uh, that no one even is even going to mention it any longer because the second exodus was, is going to trump the first exodus. All right, so kind of uh, yes, yeah. I do believe that there is a greater exodus. Is there details of exactly uh, what that is? Uh, not necessarily. Agreed. Could it be the rapture? Uh, it could, I believe. Uh, but more importantly, I think the greater exodus is connected to, the, again, the, the children of Israel that are scattered in the four corners of the earth, that Yahweh calls out to them uh, to come out of, of the spiritual Babylon, if you, may, if you will, or the religious systems and the, uh, the pagan idolatry that exists today. That is the beginning of that exodus. The consummation of that exodus, I believe, is when Yeshua uh, takes us into the land. That's when it says Yeshua is going to take them all and bring them into the land. We don't know how that happens or what that looks like, or at least I don't, um, but that's my thoughts on the greater exodus. It will happen. Uh, I believe it's beginning its process even now. Okay, so Staley here, he, I think he's pretty, pretty on point here. And actually, I gave you guys... A, uh, a URL in your show notes that I actually didn't pull a clip from, but it's uh, from Zach Bauer at New to Torah. And I believe I haven't watched now Zach's, uh, he has a two part series on this on New to Torah. Okay. Now I haven't, we've disagreed with Zach on this show before, uh, but we've also agreed with Zach on this show as well. I, uh, I haven't watched all of it because each one of those uh, parts is over an hour long. Okay, and that's fine. It's a, it's a full-on teaching. Um, and uh, But I believe that Zach basically takes the same kind of view as Staley here, which is a good view. I take the same view. When If you want to put a label on the Lord calling his people back to the land, if you want to put a label on that, and you want to put that label as the, the greater exodus, okay, fine. The scriptures don't use that phrase. 
Nowhere in the scriptures do we have the phrase greater exodus. But this passage, along with other passages, does talk about Israel coming from the four corners of the earth back to the land to serve the Lord. Okay, fair enough. Did he use the word rapture is what Mark says? Yes, he did use the word rapture. Look, I have no problem, actually, with the concept of a rapture. I think that the scripture clearly teaches it. I don't think that it clearly teaches a pre-trib rapture. Okay, I don't think that all the believers are going to be raptured and taken out of this world. But a rapture is just basically, the concept of a rapture, uh, I believe, is, is the gathering of people to a place when the Messiah comes. And I think we clearly see that within the scriptures. So I'm not going to fault... I'm not going to fault Staley on his use of the word rapture either, because he could be using the word in the same way that I use it, or he could be using the word rapture as a pre-trib rapture. Who knows? Any thoughts thus far, Rob? I know I've been taking up a lot of this air time. Well, I just think, you know, uh, there's there's another way to understand this. That Basically, I like the net Bible translation of these passages. It's, a, it's an oath formula. Yeah. I mean, what they're saying, it's just a matter of saying, as surely as the Lord delivered Israel from Egypt, which is taken to be that God certainly did this, that there, that God is going to do another thing, and people are going to say, as certainly as God has done this particular thing, um, and that, that that's a, a formula of, of asserting an oath, um, and that's comes across, it's this high, this uh, high Adonai phraseology that's used in Jeremiah 16 and 23. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I don't see it as any way, re, you know, that like the memory of Passover will, will like disappear or any. I, I don't understand why people are taking that uh, angle. Certainly, it's it will be that God's going to do wonders for His people, just like He as did wonders for Israel, you know, out of Egypt. So. We're going we're gonna to go back to this passage of Scripture, too, but I'm going to bring it up now. Look, in Zechariah 14, what happens? We, the, the Messiah comes. He's ruling from the temple in Jerusalem. It seems from places in Ezekiel and other places that he's, uh, that the prince, which I believe is the Messiah. Now, that's debatable. I understand that's debatable. I take the prince as the Messiah. Um, it seems as though he's acting as high priest. And what do you have going on in Zechariah 14? You have this wonderful... Uh, this wonderful prophecy of all the nations coming up during Sukkot, okay? It seems, it seems like we're in the millennial time during this time, okay? And the Messiah is reigning, and uh, yeah, okay. And what are we going to say? Basically, what, this, what I see this scripture saying is, we're going to be in the land saying, this is amazing. The Lord brought us from the four corners of the earth, and here we are. Does it mean we're going to forget the Exodus? No. But there is this catastrophic event that's happening when the Messiah comes back. And it's like, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a good analogy of what this is like. You know, you go to, uh, it's okay, you go to the ballpark, okay, and you get yourself the kosher hot dog with the, you know, with the sauerkraut on it, right? You got the ketchup, the relish. You eat this thing with your kid. It's amazing. It's a moment in time that you'll never forget. Okay. But then, about, you know, five years down the road, somebody, your kid, grows up a little, oh, let's say, 15 years down the road, your kid grows up and he decides he's going to take you out. Where does he take you? He takes you to the best steakhouse 
in the city. And you sit down and you say, this is the best steak, the best cut of meat I've ever had. Okay. Do you forget about the, the ballpark? No, it was a great time in history. It's a great time with your kid. But when you talk about the best meat you've ever had, you're going to talk about the, the steakhouse. You're not going to talk about the ballpark. This coming from a vegetarian. Okay. Um, so let's get back to it. So I'm not trying to fault Staley. I actually agree with him in terms of what he's saying about the quote-unquote greater exodus. I think that this... I think that this term greater exodus in and of itself probably brings some problems. But Well, I think uh, here's another thing. Uh, you know, here's here's a kind of uh approach. You think about our immersion in Yeshua, our our participation in the death and resurrection of Yeshua is a deliverance from sin. That's the most important deliverance right there. And Amen. I, guess, I suppose some people in, the, in Christianity see that as the defining moment of their timeline of history, like the most important time in history, and that everything before that is called like Old Testament, and everything after that is New Testament, and they see themselves as New Testament believers. And therefore, those people literally have forgotten the Passover. In other words, they, they, they've marked a new event, right, that is... Uh, something that is true for them, and it marks a, uh, an amazing deliverance from bondage to sin through resurrected life in Messiah. But they actually have forgotten or never learned about something that's very important, right? That that is the the Passover. So um, I think uh, that there's you know multitude of ways that that we could reflect on this passage, and it doesn't have to mean you know this. Uh, I don't know what, what some people, I think, are making it sound like it means. Okay, let's go on. So, uh, now I think we've put forth what, I, now, like I, as I said, I think that uh, Zach Bauer, I think that he takes the same view. I could be wrong on that, but I think he's taking the same there was view. A, I, in the little bits that I looked at, there was some two-house kind of thing. I, there's a, where... Uh, You're talking about I Zach Bauer's thing, right? I think so, yeah, yeah if okay. I remember right. There was like, and I think... Now I don't know for sure, but my that my takeaway was that, like Jews are Judah, tribe of Judah, mm. and or the house of Judah, and then like Christians, I think are like Christianity's like Babylon or Rome, and then there are people being Israel's being brought out of Babylon and Rome, which is kind of people go, who going from the church into a Torah lifestyle are seen as the house of Israel, that will be united with the house of Judah. Uh, at some future time. Okay, so <laughs> even even that kind of concept, I'm not agreeing with that by any stretch of the imagination, and I would have to listen to... That was my... I, I could be misrepresented, but that's kind of what I'm understanding. That that's the model, that that the, the Roman church is like the Whore of Babylon, and all her daughters are all the people, the other churches, all the denominations, and then, you know, true Israel is coming out of that into a kind of exodus already, into a wilderness place. Um, that is, and that's the house of Israel, separate from the house of Judah, and the house of Judah being like Judaism, I guess. I guess that's kind of how that's understood. Um, it's interesting, though. Here's on another note. I'm reading on a, it's my book's upstairs. I'm reading a new book on a, uh, 18th century Jewish Kabbalist slash scientist. So he's a guy who's, but he, it, 
in his works, there's where uh, in the 18th century, so in the 1700s, there were um, Sephardic Jews in Amsterdam believed themselves to be the house of Judah from the from house of Judah, and then there were Ashkenazi Jews that saw themselves from the tri, from the house of Ephraim. And so they used, there you have two different communities who used this same uh, picture, house of Israel, house of Judah, to understand their uh, uh, kind of the biblical prophetic picture behind their different communities. Hmm. Interesting. A little bit of echo. I'm not sure why here. Do we need to stop and restart? No, it'll go away. Okay, so um, basically the point in all this is that there is a mainstream within the Messianic movement, and this goes on. It's not just, it's not just these three guys, okay? It's not just Staley and Monty Judah and Zach Bauer. No, no, no. This is, this is a, a reoccurring theme throughout Messianic faith uh, on, on YouTube and the interwebs. And, uh, and so, but Monty Judah takes an entirely different view of this. And this actually is what we've been getting write-ins about. Nobody's written in and said, yo, uh, Zach Bauer is, you know, what, what's he teaching here? No one's written in and said, I heard James Staley say something on the second exodus. No, no, no. Everybody's writing into us. We've probably gotten, I don't know, five emails in the past week. Everybody's writing in saying, what is the, you know, what is this thing that Monty Judah is teaching? Okay. So let's listen to what Monty Judah says about the greater exodus and his understanding of it. Now, there's also another topic that we talk about frequently, that is what happens to the believers during this time. This is what, how God's going to be judging the world, but what happens to us? Well, He's talking about the tribulation, by the way. Okay. Now, Monty Judah takes a three-and-a-half-year view of the tribulation. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, that's where the prophecies of the greater exodus come in. It turns out that after this abomination of desolation, very shortly thereafter, is a Passover. That Passover, following the abomination of desolation, will be the time when we now make exodus. We leave the cities, we leave our homes, we go out into the wilderness of the peoples, wherever nation we're at, and we'll establish the camp of the righteous, which is the same kinds of camps that we establish when we're keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles that we keep on a yearly basis is prophetically teaching us how to go on the greater exodus to dwell in Sukkah, as our ancestors did when God led them out of Egypt, but it also teaches us and gets us to practice how to do the same thing for the greater exodus. Okay. So let me let me repeat that back to you. What I heard. <laughs> yeah, go for it. The Feast of Tabernacles is teaching us how to rough it. That's right. How to camp. So because some, you know, in order when we have to that'll be our full time campsite, so we have to train. Actually actually there won't be one full time camp campsite. According this gets so weird. Serious business, man. This is just so weird. Um, you know, I don't even know where to start with this. It, basically what he's saying is that we're going to have this, uh, this, uh, the, the, uh, the three and a half years of tribulation is going to start and there's going to be these people who, uh, uh, who are believers who now go on this, what's called the greater Exodus. 
during the tribulation. They're going to go out to, this is the weirdest part, they go out to the last place that they celebrated Sukkot, and they're going to be able to be safe because they're going to be camping in their sukkahs. Uh, And here's the thing. The last place that I celebrated Sukkot was my backyard. So what, I'm supposed to go into my backyard, set up a sukkah, and I'm going to be safe there? I mean, how does it work for the believers who, who decide that they're going to go? And they, I mean, does he think that everybody went camping last, last Sukkot? Um, listen to what he says here, though. Okay, so um, this kind of reemphasizes some of what he's saying. Uh, this is from his book. Comparing the future with the ancient past. I think that's the name of the book. It could be wrong. It's page 79. Oh, no, it's called The Greater Exodus. I'm sorry. That's the name of the chapter. It's called The Greater Exodus. This is uh, page 79 through 80. Quote, The Great Tribulation will be three and a half year period beginning in the season of winter and concluding in the season of the summer. Now, okay, let's stop right there for a few seconds. He's taking this from the three and a half years. He's taking this from Revelation 12, 6. First of all, prophecy, we've said this so many times on this show, prophecy is not given to us so that we will know what's, what's going to happen. Prophecy is given to us so that when things start to happen and we see that they have been prophesied, we know that God is faithful and sovereign and that he, he stays true to his word. He's going to rescue his people. Yeah, he'll, he's going to deliver his people. And a lot of people are going to die during this. So, okay, whatever. <laughs> Um, he's getting this from this three and a half years from Revelation 12, 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there, uh, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. What he's doing is he's breaking this up into months. Um, he's, I guess, he's suggesting, I guess, that, that, uh, each month is, not intercalated. Do is it even possible to have three years in a row without one of them being inter, in, intercalated? I I suppose so. Yeah. Okay, it's rare. That's for sure. To me, this passage seems as though Yeshua is already on Earth. <clears throat> Hang on, and of course, I got flack for not playing elevator music earlier when I was looking something something up. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Okay, where are we at? Revelation 12. Revelation 12. 1 through 6. Okay, here we go. Revelation 12, 1 through 6. Now listen to what this says. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Once again, I'm not trying to interpret this. You know, this is Monty Judah's interpretation of this. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. I'm sorry. The the imagery here is just I can't, I don't I don't think anyone can look at this passage and be like this is exactly what it's talking about. Anyway, and she was with child, and she she cried out, be, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars in, of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God 
and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. So there she should be nourished for 1,260 days. I'm sorry, you can't just be dogmatic about the idea that this time frame of days happens to be months, non-intercalated months. What are you laughing at, Rob? <laughs> Mr. Adam from Montana's funny little comment. <laughs> he says, I'm thankful that first century Jewish apocalyptic literature is so cut and dry. <laughs> I always thought it was difficult to interpret. No doubt. Okay. So I would just, I mean, from the outset, I would dispute Monty Judah's idea that uh, that the uh, tribulation, the great tribulation is three and a half years. Well, look at, yeah, I think he does, he'd say Prince Charles is the red dragon. Yeah, we're going to... But look, look, notice Lois's other point here. She says it's that beginning point where Monty would disagree, because he doesn't see prophecy as for the same purpose as you do, Caleb. So he sees prophecy... To tell as, us exactly what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, but he's, we have to decode it. In other words, it's a code for describing future events, and all you need is the right key to unlock the, the code. The interesting thing about this is, is that in this book, he just tells you what's going to happen with no references. He doesn't give it any scripture references in the, in the first, you know, I, I read, you know, the first, I don't know how many pages. And it, it was like, he's just spouting off all this stuff with no, you know, he's not telling you where all this is found. How many people, I, what I would like a picture of is the whole room, like, like to see, like, are people like, is there just like a hundred people like just staring like, like <laughs> blankly? Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be neat to see that? Uh, I mean, cause it, it, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's go on with this quote because uh, yeah, this is, this is interesting. He says, uh, the greater tribulation will be three and a half year period beginning in the season of winter and concluding in the season of summer just before the biblical appointed times of trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. And then he says, see the tribulation timeline in Appendix A. The greater exodus will be God's method of deliverance for this time period through the leadership of the 144,000 in the various escaping camps. Those who are delivered will dwell in mobile shelters or Sukkot. The psalmist, or mobile Alabama. The, uh, the psalmist says this best, okay? People don't know that, that mobile Alabama, Alabama can move around. Dude, your jokes Sorry. are so bad. Oh. Um, okay, so then he says, the psalmist says it best. Listen to this quote, okay? This is, this is very interesting. Uh, Psalm 91, 5 through 10. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your right side, uh, at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. And then in brackets, he has shelter slash sukkah. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. That's not true. That is not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew does not say shel uh, sukkah. It's the word for tent, not sukkah. 
So even right there, you can tell he's not even reading. He's not even looking in his Bible to see if that's the word. He's just feeding you what he wants it to say. Okay, let's keep going. That was my new clip. Did you like that? I'm going to use that all the time. Let's, let's play one more time just for... The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. So Monty Judah then tells us, um, actually, let me check out my personal show notes here. Uh, okay, uh, Monty Judah then tells us that there are three destinies for people. Once again, this comes with no scriptural references whatsoever. Um, there are three destinies for people, and these are the three destinies. With regard to all of the folks um, who are going to be going through the Great Tribulation. The Bible is uh, somewhat specific to it about saying there are three destinies for the saints. Uh, one destiny is that some are going to take up the sword, try to defend themselves, and they will die by the sword. And I believe there's a lot of Christians well-meaning. By the way, this is a destiny, meaning you're not going to be able to talk them out of it. This is what they're going to believe is that they should do. And by the way, the scripture says that there are some who will give their life for the benefit of others. So I'm not saying it's a wrong choice. I'm just saying it's one of the destinies and some people will be destined to do that. Some, the scripture says, are destined to captivity, whether that be because they refuse to fight, refuse to leave, whatever the case may be, uh, that they'll be taken captive. Um, in the process. But then there's a third destiny. That's the one that I believe the Lord has called me to teach to and speak to, and that is the destiny of those who escape, survive, and endure all the way to the end and see the coming of the Lord. And that destiny of escaping, surviving, and endure is part of the greater prophecy of called uh, the greater exodus um, and to be a part of those things. You listen to how much of this? Dude, I listened to about four hours of this oh my in total. What, what? And here's the thing. There was not, in the four hours that A I listened peep. to. It, is there an audience the whole time, like, listening to this? Or yeah. is he sitting in? Yeah. And here's the thing. I, <laughs> I listened to this. I don't think I, don't think I, I agreed with one thing that Monty Judah said. There was not one thing that I was like, well, he's right on that. Every, every single thing he said, I was like, what are you talking about? That's why it just blows my mind that people listen to this and they're it like, sounds yeah. like he's in a world of yes people. Like he, he's surrounded by a bubble. He's, he's, he's in a tent of, of yes people. Even, okay, let's, let's be kind here. Let me, let me try to extend an olive branch on this one. Let's pretend, let's pretend for a few seconds that what he was saying you know, he's bringing up all these, let's say that he's bringing up a lot of scripture with it too, which he doesn't do, okay? He, oh, he just, just said the scripture says there's three types. He does that all the time. So he'll just say, oh, as scripture clearly shows us, oh, scripture says. So he's not giving you, and maybe it's because, maybe somebody's going to say, well, you haven't listened to all of his older teachings where he gives all the scriptural references. Let's pretend for a few seconds that he's bringing all these scriptural references. At best, at best, okay, it's a a uh, interpretation, a personal interpretation that is on shaky foundation at best. It's a foundation of sand that could be washed away at any time. It's an opinion. 
it's a bad opinion at that. But even if even if uh, you know he brought all these scriptures together, I would still have to say, dude, this is a like you are really really putting your own ideas in on this. Okay, now speaking of putting your own ideas in, which we would refer to as eisegesis, as opposed to exegesis. Eisegesis means putting your own opinion into the scriptural uh, the scripture that you're reading. If I were to make a pictographic dictionary, if you opened up my pictographic dictionary, actually, let's say an audio sound clip dictionary, and you opened up to eisegesis, this next clip would be what would be there for the word eisegesis. Listen to this clip. Can, can I, before that, can I throw in a funny footnote on the word eisegesis? Sure. There was a, a gal, elderly lady, it, right when I was kind of new to like the messianic thing in Linwood. So this was like, I don't know how many years ago, but she said, she said, people get down on the name Jesus, but it's right there. Eisegesis and exegesis. <laughs> and she was totally furious. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. She thought that because she heard, she never seen it written down. She thought it was the name Jesus. Just remember. It's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's so many clips I could I could play to that. It's stupid such a fine up. line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> turnabout. Do we have a Hillary? We have the Hillary Clinton. Oh, let's not. Uh, I don't think I actually have Hillary Clinton loaded up on this soundboard. Yeah. I apologize. That's I used okay, to. Okay, sorry. I, a little bit of humor, but now you're going to play this clip. Okay, so here's... <laughs> Here's my clip. The question is, which Jesus is in this clip? The exegesis or the, <laughs> the exegesis? exegesis. Uh, this is two minutes and 22 seconds long, so it's a very long clip to be playing on this show in full length. And we're going to have to stop this throughout this clip, because, which might be annoying to people, but I'm sorry. There's just so much here. There's a question from Donna. Uh, you teach that believers should make preparations to travel from place to place with like-minded believers following the example of the Israelites in the book of Exodus shortly after the start of the tribulation. Would you please supply us with the scripture references that indicate we are to follow an Exodus-type escape during the tribulation? Listen to the question. I love the way that she formulates her question here. Can you please give us scriptural reference that says we're going to follow an Exodus-like, what does she say exactly? Let's go back. Escape. The word escape. escape, yeah. Exodus-like escape during the tribulation. References that indicate we are to follow an Exodus-type escape during the tribulation. Exodus-like escape during the tribulation. I would like those references as well. Listen to what Monty Judah does here. There are two very direct references that I will give to you. Uh, they are both in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 16, verse 14. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all of the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers." Okay, that's the first scriptural reference. We're, uh, we're 51 seconds in. Can you please tell me, once again, what that has to do with us following an Exodus-like escape during the tribulation? 
how does he get that out of that? Is that not eisegesis? If that's not a good definition of eisegesis, I don't know what it is. And people are following this guy. Hang on. Now, let's give him fair due on this clip. We still got, you know, over a minute left. Got like 31 seconds left of this clip. Maybe his second second biblical reference is going to explain. Seal the deal. It'll seal the deal on this. It'll it'll explain to us that what this passage, you know, Jeremiah is going to explain that this is actually meaning an Exodus-like escape. Let's listen to the rest of it. It is very clear that Jeremiah is speaking to a future event that will be modeled after the Exodus, but it will be much greater than the Exodus out of Egypt. It will be an Exodus from many nations at the same time, or an Exodus-type escape. And it's saying the day is going to come when we're going to use the word Exodus, and we're not going to be referring to ancient Egypt. Once again, Jesus. Nowhere, nowhere in this Jeremiah 16 passage does it say that we're going to use the word Exodus and it's going to refer to a future event as opposed to the Exodus from Egypt. That's simply not what it says. Rob, go for it. Tell me. Tell me. Well, this is strange that he would even say that. First of all, Exodus is from the Greek, right? Exodus is the way, way out, the way out of Egypt, right? It's not a Hebrew word anyway, right? Exodus. So I... I just, I don't understand what he's trying to sell. I mean, I, I just... He's trying I guess to I, sell this book, The Greater Exodus. I'm not oriented enough to his uh, his worldview to be able to really even... To me, it's just like gobbledygook. It feel, It's like hypnotizing gobbledygook. That That's my... It has zero... What he's doing, what he's I'm saying... Concer- Caleb, I'm concerned about you listening to this for four hours. Uh, I, I mean... Me too. Did you... Uh, I mean, did you go do a mikvah or something afterwards? Okay, hang on just a sec. We got one more passage in this in this clip. Okay, okay. We We're going to be referring our... to something much greater taking place in the nations. Now, that same expression is repeated again for us in Jeremiah chapter 23. Oh. It says the following. In Jeremiah 23, this is the prophecy about the Messiah being raised up at this righteous branch. Um, And so there's a very powerful messianic prophecy in it, and that goes through verses 1 through 6. And then immediately in verse 7, it says this, continuing on with the Messiah and the end of days, and he says this, uh, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought back and led up the descendants of the household of Israel, from the Northland and from all the countries where I've driven, then they will live on their own soil. Now that's virtually a repeat of what we heard in chapter 16. But this time, the connection is that the Messiah is a part of this. That the Messiah is actually the leader of this. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, but if you're following, if you think that this greater Exodus is. Uh, is 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 what Monty Judas says it is. That is a Exodus-like escape during the tribulation for the believers. And you're basing it on these two scriptures. You need to do a little bit more work. Clearly, not what the what these passages are are speaking to. I, the, what I now again limited exposure to this. 
But to me, it's just like, to me, it gets people focusing on all the wrong things. Yeah, exactly. In other words, if you're, that's why I love the, the Psalm 91 that you quoted, Caleb. He's our refuge. Adonai is our refuge. And if you walk with him, he's going to, the whole point of all this is that he's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of his people. And this idea of starting to try to interpret the events and trying to match them with this or that thing and teaching people to think that way, I think there's more important things, that critical things that need to be taught instead of that speculation. We can't teach speculation as fact. That's just... Uh, Boy, it's just dangerous space. Listen to this. Uh, I, I love this. Okay, so we're going to get into, I, I got three more clips. We're going to get into uh, his idea of the Antichrist or or the Red Dragon, rather. And then we're also going to get into uh, uh, his his idea of the Millennium, which is a very interesting idea. Once again, showing his, uh, his lack of ability to interpret Scripture at all. Um, but first, let's read this. This is uh, from his book, The Greater Exodus. Page 98 says, In the Exodus, the children of Israel dwelled in mobile shelters using the elements of leafy branches and palms. They traveled in the wilderness for 40 years and camped a 42, uh, at 42 different locations. Okay. The first camping uh, place of that, that journey was called Sukkot, meaning huts, booths, or tents. In the greater Exodus, we will dwell in mobile shelters, having left our homes and cities going into the wilderness of the people's the first camping place will be called Sukkot because we will uh, we will more than likely camp first where we kept the Feast of Tabernacles, also called Sukkot. It makes sense. No, it doesn't. Uh, it is a place that you know and other like-minded brethren know where to escape initially. So my backyard. Our journey will be 42 months, and we have been promised not to relocate more than 42 times. Yeshua made this promise, comparing the number of cities in Israel to the number of future camping locations. Quote, Matthew 10, 23b, For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Note, there were 42 cities of Israel with six cities of refuge when Yeshua spoke of this limit. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Once again, I am very interested to see where uh, Mr. Judah uh, has come up with the idea that there were 42 cities uh, at the time that Yeshua spoke this this uh, prophecy. Where is he getting that from? Does he have a map from the first century? This is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I, I uh, this is beyond. It is beyond me that anyone would would buy into this. What are people thinking? Okay, let's go He's on. He's secretly at. A, a, <laughs> Lois says, "Why is he recommend everybody buy an RV or a Kabbalah tent?" And I just said, "Oh, it's RV for the Rob and the Kabbalah, just a, a uh, Caleb show." He's <laughs> he's. Uh, Actually, uh, he's playing into our the, the code. If you the know code. the code to Bonnie Joda, uh, yes. Judah is, he's actually telling people to leave his uh, teaching and start to listen to the Robin Caleb show. Okay, uh, this is uh, this is so convoluted. I cannot believe. <sighs> okay, here we go. This this clip is a long. I got a couple of long clips here, but but uh, hang with me here. So when we hear the possibilities that the queen may finally retire and abdicate the throne. 
He's talking about the Queen of England, by the way. Okay. Now, I think everybody who has heard anything about uh, Monty Judah knows where I'm going with this. And him become. That's extremely important to us because while this is the identifying characteristic leading up to the Great Tribulation, it is the belief that when the Antichrist actually does come to power and begins to rule, that he does receive a crown and does become a king. And the first seal judgment is a man who comes a conquering who's been given a crown. And we believe that the first seal judgment is a picture of the Antichrist coming to power and what that will mean. So anytime we hear that the queen may be getting close to abdicating, um, we want to take note of that. I can tell you this, that if Prince Charles is in fact the Antichrist, I can tell you when he has to become king. It has to be in the springtime. It has to be Wait, rewind uh, in an, rewind in that. <laughs> Say that. Can you have him say that again? Did he Charles. just say what I? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, he did. That if Prince Charles is in fact the Antichrist, I can tell you when he has to become king. Oh, he said yeah. <laughs> okay, no, no, but he has this whole teaching on how how Prince Charles is the Antichrist. It has to be in the springtime. It has to be uh, in, an, in an April, May kind of time frame. Because the prophecy says he's only going to be given 42 months to rule. And so if you count 42 months over to the day of the Lord, which would be Yom Kippur, that's the only time he's given to rule. And so his time of ruling doesn't line up with this. His time of ruling comes after that, and so I listened to a whole a whole audio clip on on oh, on on why he thinks that Prince Charles is the Antichrist. And basically, what he says, and I wish I would have pulled that specific clip. Basically, what he says is that uh, that uh, you know he, Prince Charles will come in, and he'll he'll be able to make uh, he'll be able to to make peace and wage war against uh, the people and all this kind of stuff. Um, the problem is, is that I don't know if he realizes this, but the title of king and queen in England today is pretty much an honorary title at this point. It's kind of like saying, you know, when the next Miss America becomes Miss America and she's able to affect, uh, you know, the world so there's no more hunger. The king of England doesn't have any, he's not the prime minister he doesn't have the ability to go go to war or make peace or anything like that. Especially Prince Charles. Nobody likes that guy. Right? I mean, everybody kind of thinks, eh, eh, Prince Charles, eh. If he gets in if he gets the crown and he's like, Oh, yeah, let's all have peace now, or let's all wage war against, you know, against these Jews. <laughs> Let's wage war against the, the against Israel. What are people going to say in England? You're right. Who are you? I mean, it, I don't even pull that clip. It, it just shows another asinine thought process that Monty Judah is making people buy into. Um, yeah. Okay. So now let's get into, I, I know, I, I'm, I'm hitting hard the Monty Judah clips today, but I can't believe it. I just, yeah. listen to what he says here. And I, these two clips go together and they go together for a reason, but uh, listen to the first one. 
I am Alpha and Omega, I'd like to say Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the end, <laughs> uh, the first and the last, blessed are they who do... <laughs> he, he left the word the out. Uh, all of them, oh man, I, 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 oh man. Uh, okay, let's let it go. Let it go. Uh, let's okay, hear. should we replay from there? Okay. Am Alpha and Omega. I'd like to say Aleph and Tav. The beginning and the end, uh, the first and the last. Blessed are they who do the, His commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. But the question carries asking is, my question is, if all of the tares are gathered up and burned up first, just before the millennium, where do these lawless people come from? Believe you me, let me just clear this up with you, Kerry. In the millennial kingdom, there are not going to be anybody but the redeemed walk there. The day of the Lord is absolute and complete for the destruction of the enemies of God. And when he's making the phrase here for without, in other words, it simply means none of them are here. So I don't know if you caught that. Monty Judah believes there that uh, there will be no wicked people, no wickedness in the millennium. What? Yeah. Okay. Thank but you. What about if we went to Revelate the very end of Revelation? Doesn't it say like? I, I think it's interesting that you went straight to Revelation. I went straight somewhere well, that's else. He's, to go. Well, because he's quoting Revelation. Okay, go for it. Show me. Um. I'm looking. I'm just thinking right at the very end. Let me look here. Um, <laughs> Revelation 22. Let the let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who's filthy. Not, oh, that's not. I don't know if that's the one that I'm thinking about. Um, you find it real quick, and I will read you what I went to first. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about then the Lord. My God will come and all the holy ones with him. In that day, there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. Uh, okay. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. What are we talking about? This is the millennium. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it and there will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Okay, so what does this sound like to you? In my opinion, this is the millennium, okay? It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the... Oh, so I missed a verse. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Uh, sorry, Zechariah 14, 12. Now, this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will not will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets. 
and their tongue will not will rot in their mouth. It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them, and they will seize one another's hand, and the hand of, of one will be lifted against the hand of another. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered gold and silver and garments in the great abundance. So also like this plague will be a plague on the, on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king of the Lord of, of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Festival of Booths. In that day, the Lord will inscribe on the bells of the horses holy to the Lord, and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bulls before the altar. Okay, Zechariah 14. Clearly talking about the millennium, clearly talking about people who are disobeying the Almighty. The uh, Back to the verse, though, was that was the one he read 22, 14, and 15? Um, which one are you talking Where he's talked about without, the word without. Oh, uh, hang on just a sec. Millennium. I think it was. Let's listen to it one more time. I am Alpha and Omega. I'd like to say Aleph and Tav. The beginning and the end, uh, the first and the last, blessed are they who do the, his commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city, for without are dogs and sorcerers yeah. and hormones. So he's, he's reading the King James Version, it looks like, and there's some variants in text. But, but this without, he, 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 there's a language issue again. It just means outside the city are these things. Dog sorcerers, immoral persons. He's tw- he's saying that he's fabricating a new way to read that, which means he's the one who's pr- loves and practices a lie. <laughs> Ooh. Um, and Lois Morgan has given. And that's us- not me. We have a lie detector <laughs> test that determined that. So uh, Lois Morgan gives us Isaiah sixty-five twenty. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live. Out his days, for the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. Okay, and actually, I'm glad you brought that passage up, Lois, and uh, this is going to play into my Zechariah passage, because I was wondering, what is he going to do with Zechariah 14? Well, actually, Monty Judah, uh, like as if he heard what I said to myself, responds to Zechariah 14, and to Isaiah 65:20, here's what he has to say. Let me see. In the millennium, we have free will. For example, if someone decides not to attend one of the three required feasts, there will be a drought in their immediate area. A lot of these expressions that we find here that's describing the kingdom, let me give you another one. If a man lives to 100 and dies, he'll be a young man. You know, kind of, There's a lot of expressions that are used by the prophets trying to explain to you what the millennial kingdom will be like. They're not saying those things will happen in the millennial kingdom. They're trying to give you a, a, a comparison to what the kingdom will be like. 
if a person was 100 years old and died in the kingdom, he would be considered a, a, young, a young person. It's not saying people die in the kingdom. It's, that's not what it's saying. It's talking about you're going to regard one year, 100 years of age to be a youngster. That's what it's saying. Um, and uh, some of these other expressions in here, if you were to not attend the feast of the Lord, then you would have a drought. You wouldn't receive rain. It's not saying that people are going to intentionally do that. It's just trying to give you, it's trying to give you descriptors of what the kingdom will be like uh, by sometimes defining you what it will not be like. In other words, it's trying to show you how powerful and uh, to a very great extent how everyone is going to be uh, in agreement. Okay. So, here we have it. Monty Judah now is telling us that Zechariah 14, metaphor. It's just metaphor. That's not actually going to happen. Isaiah 65, by the way, that was quoted by Sarah, not by Lois. I apologize for giving wrong credit. Uh, so uh, Sarah in our chat room was the one who brought up Isaiah 65. But according to Monty Judah, now, that's just, that's just metaphor. It's just metaphor. If we're going to be able to turn all of this into metaphor, why don't we just go with dispensationalism? Right? If we can just say that all of the scripture is all just metaphor, what's interesting is that he takes a lot of this metaphorical imagery that we're given in Revelation. I prefer Metatron. Of course. Um, <laughs> I wish I still had that buzzer sound. Uh, he takes a lot of this me metaphorical uh, imagery that we have in Revelation and he makes it and he solidifies it into, in his mind, fact of what's going to happen. But then when we have huge chapters, which are, doesn't seem to be speaking in metaphorical language at all. He says, that's metaphor. This does not take a Bible scholar to realize that, th that this guy is a false teacher. He just has, he, he has a picture in his mind and he's just going to use the scriptures as a, as a, uh, it's not like he's teaching through the Bible, what he's doing. He's just using the scriptures as a, uh, kind of like a footnote. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. He might be doing that, but at the same time, this guy was proven a false prophet back in the late 90s. And what does that mean? We, don't, we shouldn't listen to him. And this is proof. The guy is a false teacher. Everything that he says is, I mean, I, can't, I have not found anything I agree with yet. I'm sure there's something. People are going to write me and say, oh, he believes that Yeshua is the Messiah. It doesn't matter. The guy's a false prophet. He has no business teaching whatsoever. And not only that, but he obviously has zero education. This is, this is nonsense. I, I, I'm, it's Caleb so, speaking metaphorically. It though. is so... He metaphorically has zero education. The, it's so frustrating to me. It is so frustrating to me. He's very calm in his speaking and matter-of-fact in his statements. You know, I could see how, you know, a naive person would listen and, and you know, if they didn't have access to other resources, might just... How, it's not other resources. All you have to do is open your Bible and read. It doesn't take anything except for a Bible. Open your Bible and read it. That's it. I, 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 this is so frustrating to me because this 
This kind of thing right here is exactly why people think that the Messianic movement is totally nuts. And honestly, looking at this kind of stuff, I totally agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, people are like, oh, you're always coming down on everybody. You know what? With people like Monty Judah, Michael Rood, Itzhak Shapira, what, I mean, what else would you expect? Total nonsense. And not only that, but I mean, this kind of thing that Monty Judah is doing, it's not just like, it's not just like, oh, he got a couple of things wrong. He is leading people astray. People are making life and faith decisions based on this guy's teaching, which is false. Doesn't that make people upset? I mean, I just... It bo- a loud mouth is going off. It boggles my mind that people would sit in the pews and listen to this and be like, yeah, that sounds good. Open your Bibles, people. My word. I, uh, I It frustrates me because, you know, this guy comes out, he gives prophecy, he's shown to be a false prophet, and people are like, oh, it's okay. He, he, he said he was sorry, right? You know, he, he said, oh, I made a mistake. Yeah, that's what the scripture says to to do with a uh, to a false prophet. It doesn't say stone him, never listen to to him again. Don't be afraid of him. No, no, no. It says make sure that he. Uh, it says if he doesn't repent of it, you know, then then stone him. But if he repents, keep following him and listening to him. All right, I'm done. Anything else, Rob? No. What can I add to that? <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, I sure do appreciate everybody in the chat room. Yeah. I'm so, so what's the deal? Well, let's wrap this up with the greater Exodus. We're we're like, we're like an hour and 15 into our show here. That's fine. You know, the, the podcast that I, the, the, the greater Exodus. Yeah. What is it? When is it? Am I a part of it? What do I have to do today? Are those the questions we need to answer? Or the questions are, the greatest commandment is the Shema. Are you walking in the Shema right now? Are you walking in relationship with your Heavenly Father and with the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah? Do you have a living relationship with them 24-7? Are you lo- and is your love for other people coming out of that relationship? If not, that's where you, that's all signs point to the Shema. Right, as the way Yeshua instructs us, and that's a full-time job. That's a full-time occupation for us. If we get worrying about all this stuff and trying to, you know, listen to some guy who's going on and on and on about the future, as if he knows who the Antichrist is and all this, it's just—it's fear-mongering. Yeah, he is we, praying just, on people's whole, he's fear. He's just joining the the library shelf of all the people who've gone before him doing the same thing, but filling in the blanks differently. But but somehow he's got the 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 way to think of it, and he's mis he's just totally misusing scripture while he does it. Um, so I would just encourage people to go elsewhere, you know. Ah. No doubt. Thank you. See, I bring the fire, and Rob calms it down, cools it out by giving 
good sound advice. Go somewhere else. Find, find something else. All right. Send us emails. Actually, you know, we have a great topic for next week, and I think Rob's really going to – we might have a, Roth, uh, a Hoff Goes Off. Can we, can we hear the Hoff Goes Off song just in anticipation of next week? Just in anticipation for next week. Here we go. I don't even know what the subject is. Oh, oops. What did I do? Wait. Why is it not working? Uh, I put here. Okay. You want to know what happened? You want to know what happened? Giving the elevator music. Okay. Here's what happened. I put it on the wrong button. So now when I try to play it. Oh, okay. Don't worry. It doesn't go off right. Well, see. Oh, this is good that we troubleshoot it for next week then. That's right. That's right. Hang on. I might actually have. I'm still looking for it. Oh, well. Well, Rob's Hoff goes off. That's what I'm talking about. Was that year one? Was that our first year? Second year. That was year two. That was the second season, I think. Second season. I that still goes down as one of my favorite moments on the Robin Caleb show. That was pretty pretty much awesome um, all right okay yeah so next week i got a good topic um i think we'll talk about it but that doesn't mean you need to let up from sending us emails send us emails uh chag at torresource.com r van hoff at torresource.com let us know what you want us to talk about all that kind of good stuff and uh yeah we'll get to it we hope uh, so if you are following Monte Judah, I would just encourage you to open your Bible and take a second look. Uh, just really not good scholarship at all. And just false, false teaching. That's what it is. And we, what we hope to do is present teaching that is not only good, but glorifying to our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>